You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Uh, this, this group of four individuals went on a plane ride, a sightseeing tour. And partway through the flight, the engine started cutting out. And the pilot came back and he said to the passengers, Hey, everybody, we've got engine trouble. He grabbed his parachute and he said, Make sure you save yourselves. And he jumps out of the plane. Well, the first person who is a Grammy award-winning entertainer said, well, after all, the world needs entertainment. And he grabbed one of the three parachutes. Four passengers, three parachutes. And he said, the world needs entertainers. Boom, grabbed his parachute, jumped out. The second person was one of the smartest physicists on the planet, highest IQ ever recorded, and said, the world needs smart people. And he grabbed the parachute and jumped out of the plane. And the grandfather looked at his Boy Scout grandson and said, son, I've lived a long life. There's one parachute left. He said, you take it. I'll go down with the plane. To which the Boy Scout said, you know that really smart guy? He grabbed my backpack. (laughs) Now, how will I ever tie that into the sermon? (laughs) Well, really, really smart people, the really smart ones, make sure they don't miss Christmas. And the other thing is, sometimes people are too smart for their own good. Really. They say, well, I'm too smart. I, I don't need anybody to talk to me about faith, or I don't need anybody to talk to me about the light of the world. But the beauty is, This Christmas really is all about you. He says, is it about me? Yeah, what I'm going to get out of Christmas or who I might get to see or what I might get to eat or what kind of cards might be in the mail from long-lost friends or what kind of Facebook posts somebody might share with me. But Christmas is all about you because the Lord decided to come to this earth just for you. This morning I was driving into church and I was listening to a a CD I have in my car and um, it's by my dear friend Tommy Walker and uh, he was singing a song about God's glory and uh, I was coming down 8th Street watching some people not pay any attention to the light signals. Ever had that happen? Yeah. And I thought to myself, Lord, in the hurry of the season... May I not miss your glory. And I just stopped for a moment. My mind was racing about the day and playing drums and sermons and practices today and all that's going on. And I I said, Lord God, I don't want Christmas to happen without me and you really connecting. You can get so busy in life. I mean, what would this season look like if you made sure that Christmas was about you? But not about stuff coming to you or people coming to you, but him coming to you. Mark records in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, that this good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and it began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Matthew and, and Luke, this doctor, writes very specifically about everything that happens. 
Matthew writes the narrative so well. But John, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, writes more from a relational posture because John had been with Jesus. He saw him turn the water into wine. He watched him feed the multitudes. He saw him raise the dead and cause the blind to see. And at his cross, Jesus says to John, John, that lady who's next to you, that's my mother. But she'll now be your mom. And, and Mary, I want you to look at John. He'll now be your son. And so John takes Mary home. And could you imagine the stories they told? Hey, Mary, what was it like when the Holy Spirit overshadowed you? Hey, Mary, what was it like the first kick? And, and as I said last week, that old song, Mary, did you know? Yes, yes, Mary knew. Because she heard the angels tell her about the prophecy of Jesus. She felt the Holy Spirit overshadow her and and as her baby bump appeared and got bigger, she recognized that was the Son of God inside of her. And John would talk to Mary, no doubt, about the stories of giving birth to him, about Christmas. And John would tell Mary things that she didn't know about Jesus and the miracles he performed, the conversations that they had today. And so this John, rather than giving us lengthy narrative, he tells us specifically in summary about Jesus and John 114, he says these words. Can we read them together? The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you need grace, guess where you can go? Jesus, the Son. And if you need to know the truth, the truth that will set you free, you can find it in Jesus, the Son. Christmas, if you'd write this down in your notes, allows everyone God's gift of light. Every one of us. And John 1.9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The gift was light. Light to people who were in the dark about God and how God loved them. Because when Christ came in this world, people didn't really understand how to relate to God. Well, they knew something about the sacrifices at the temple. But a lot of people who were not of the household of Israel didn't believe that God even cared about them or for them. Light is necessary for life. Light is necessary for guidance. Light is necessary for discernment. Light is the illumination that we can't hide from, that when it turns on, we have to come to grips with the reality of who we are and who we aren't. If you want to really have a come-to-Jesus meeting, so to speak, just ask God's light to shine in your heart. Or just start reading the Bible, and the Bible will start reading you. And pretty soon you'll recognize the light that comes. Now, if you go to Home Depot today, you cannot buy a flash dark. <laughs> but you can buy a flashlight. I have a little flashlight, cost me $9.99. That's almost 10 bucks. And it has a little LED in it. And it runs off two little AA batteries. And it is the brightest little light. Matter of fact, if this room was totally dark, I could turn it on and just adjust the beam. And this place would light up. 
So when I ride along with our wonderful Lompoc Police Department, some of law enforcement's finest, I don't get to carry pepper spray or a gun or a taser or a baton, but I do carry my $9.99 flashlight. And every once in a while, it's kind of funny. The guys will actually say to me, uh, okay, Pastor B, get out your light now. And I'll put, now they've got jumbo lightsabers. It's different, you know. But I got this little light, and sometimes they humor me and, and let me use it. And one night, it was oh dark 30, and I had ridden along. It was really, really late, and, and my keys had fallen under my car just a little bit. And uh, I knew I had my light, and I turned it on and did some detective work, the only kind they let me do, and I saw the reflection of my light in my keys and got them and got into my car and, and drove home and crawled into bed. And I thought, it's just a reminder of how we can lose our way and just the light of Jesus can somehow illuminate to us what otherwise would be dark. And when John talked about the light of Jesus, we saw this the last couple of weeks, that his light was so bright that the darkness could not overcome it. People have tried to eradicate the light of Jesus. People have tried to remove Christianity from the face of the earth. People have tried to remove in God we trust from our money or even our city hall. But there's something about the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, part of the Trinity of God, that cannot be removed. And it seems like the more people try to snuff the light of Jesus out, the more he shines. And the more you even try to push him away, the, the more it seems like he knocks on your heart and invites you to open your soul to him. Christmas allows a Savior that is personal a personal Savior. When I uh, first came to know Christ, I remember this term was used a lot. Our pastors used to say it a lot. Would you like to make Jesus Christ your Lord and personal Savior? Or your personal Savior and Lord? We don't hear that term a lot anymore. But it really is the truth of the message. Because in John 1:12, it says, to, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. It was the first time in the Greek language that the word faith and the word in were put together. Believe in. It used to be believe on or believe that. It's like believing that, that standing next to a pristine lake, that that's a body of water, that that's a lake. But somebody who stands there and says, I believe that is a lake, I believe on the premise that that's a body of H2O. But when you jump into the lake and you swim in it, now you believe in the lake. Now you don't believe in a mirage or some kind of special effects from Hollywood. You, you know that you know that you know that that's a water hole. That's wet in there. It's a lake in there. And there's something about Jesus who... John would say, I'm inviting you to jump into him, to have faith in him, to believe in him, not just on him. And then he, John would go on to say this magnificent verse, John 20, verse 31, but these are written that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing 
you may have life in his name. John does what the other gospels may do, but he does it better. He says that born to you this day is a Savior. Oh, Matthew says that. But John says it's written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and believing you may have life in his name. Not just believe that a Savior's been born, or believe on the premise a Savior's been born, or believe on the theology that God came to earth in the flesh, but that you may have what? Life in his name. And as I studied this verse, it would take way too long to tell you all I learned. But John is stating, not just implying, that there is no real life apart from his name. It's nowhere else. It's not another religion. It's not another approach or attempt. I will be a better person. It's simply that I would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It's for you. It's for you. And wouldn't it be great if we could grab all the U's, not the E-W-E-S's, but all the, all the U's, all the U's of our community, all our, the U's of the county, all the, the U's out at Vandenberg Air Force Base, and put them all together and say, listen, U's, all these kids who've had so much school break, they don't even know where their classroom is anymore. <laughs> all the yous and say, you know what? Jesus wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your light. And when you lose your way, he wants to illuminate your path. It took John and Peter and Matthew three years to figure this out. They still had an agenda that somehow this Messiah was going to be the one who would deliver them from Roman oppression, that somehow this Messiah would turn around their economy, that somehow this Messiah would rise up their military once again. But he had another plan. Last week, I was just fascinated as I left this place that in each service, I asked people if they would like to believe and make a public declaration of their faith. And between our three services, 26 people last week raised their hands. Many of them, I believe, were their very first time to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, the use of life. And there's so many people on this planet, we could get lost in the fact that for God so loved the world, but the question really begs to be asked, do, do you believe? Do you believe? Believe in his name. Luke 1, it says that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to this man named Joseph. And by the way, ladies, Joseph is a good guy. Um, if you have a daughter, you'd like your daughter to marry a Joseph. Well, not, his name doesn't have to be Joseph, but a Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you, highly favored. The Lord is, the Lord is with you. And, and I believe that statement is very prophetic. Because the one who is with you will be born in you. And just like he's with you, he wants to be with all the yous. You and you and you and, and you and, and you watching online. He, he wants to be with all of you, those in 
drinking lattes in the cafe. You too. Yeah. He wants to be with you. And the gospel goes on to record just this beautiful story about Jesus. But over in Matthew 1, verse 20 and 21, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. You see, Joseph was going to divorce himself from Mary. Now, when you were espoused, or let's use the word modern word, engaged to be married to somebody, in Bible times, that was a contract. You were as good as married, though you couldn't do things that married couples do. He would have to go to the priest and explain to the priest why he wants to divorce her. And it would have been very easy for him. Because it was a disgrace for a woman to be pregnant out of wedlock. And all he had to do is tell the priest, hey, listen, I've got this girl named Mary, and she's a cute young thing, but she's been messing around. Somebody messing around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would have been ridiculed. She would have been the outcast of society. But somehow this angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. You take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will, because he'll allow North Americans to have trees in their house and gifts under the trees and good and plenty in their stockings. Sorry, one of my favorite candies. Don't bring me any, please. Thank you. Please do not, because he will save. His people from their sins. And however you want to slice Christmas, that's the heart of the message. He didn't come to take away the Roman oppression. He didn't come to restore an economy. He didn't come to change the military strength. He came to take away the human condition. The worst thing about us. And the angel, the angel comes and says, he will save his people from their sins. And the people wanted to say, 70 miles from here, Mr. Angel, we have a temple. And at that temple, we sacrifice animals. We already have a system to take away our sin. What are you declaring to us? Well, the beauty is Jesus came in the spirit of a personal deliverer. Mary's pregnant, people are whispering, but Joseph knows there's more to the story. And you will encounter, like I do, people that will whisper, people that will think we're crazy, people that watched you leave your home today, your apartment today, your, your place of dwelling, and come to church. They saw you carry a Bible or carry your favorite smartphone device. They'll watch you maybe go home with your notes, and they'll wonder why you came. They'll wonder this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, if your life is any different because you showed up. And so what they may argue with you about or quietly push away from you is the fact that while people whisper, there's something that Joseph knew, and there's something that most of us know, that Jesus 
Christ is the Savior. He's the Deliverer. He's the one that sets us free. And then in Luke 2, we find out God is bringing this prophecy to pass in those days. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. And I love this, because Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth, but Joseph was from Bethlehem. And so they have to go to Bethlehem to register and to be a part of this census. And here is the most powerful man on the planet, Caesar Augustus. And God moves him to want to have this census to be taken. Why? So the prophecy could be fulfilled. So Mary and Joseph would go to Bethlehem, which means house of bread, where the bread of life would be born. And they went up, Luke 2 and 4 and 5, into this town, Nazareth, and to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of line of David. And he went to register Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. They were expecting a child. Now, back to the airplane and the smartest man who jumped out. He would tell you if he was here that the number of atoms in the universe is one with 84 zeros after it. But scholars would tell you the chance of Jesus fulfilling the major Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and Christmas simply can't be by chance. Because it's one with 484 zeros behind it, for which there is no name for that number. The likelihood of all of these prophecies from born of a virgin to Bethlehem doesn't seem to make any sense, but it does. And in Luke chapter 2, it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. And don't get mad at the innkeeper. I've heard preachers preach against him. God made sure that the inn was filled so that Jesus could be born in a manger, which was prophesied. And there were, and there were, oh, this is important. There were shepherds living out. But let me tell you about shepherds. Shepherds were deemed unclean. They could not go into the synagogue and worship God. They weren't even allowed in the outer courts to worship God. They were deemed unclean. They, they, they dealt with dirty animals, and they, they spread around manure. That's what they did. But there's another thing that these shepherds did. They also supplied the lambs that would be slain for the sins of the people. They knew about this system some 70 miles away where you would go to the priest, you'd bring your animals, the priest would sacrifice for you. They already had a system. When they said Jesus would save their people from their sins, again, they already had a system. Why would we need a new Savior? But why would the angel appear to the shepherds? Now let's stop for a moment and let's pretend you're God and you're sending your son to earth, where would you announce his birth? I would pick the halftime of the Super Bowl. 
right after one of the best commercials where everybody said, don't miss this, where people put down their Doritos and their taquitos and they look at the screen. Or maybe some of you would say, I know where I'll go. I'm going to go to the United Nations building when they're in session. Or I'm going to go to the White House. Or I'm going to make a, a news board across all media. I'm going to go to Facebook and make sure everybody shares the news that I'm sending my son Jesus. But no, the Lord ordains it that he would go to shepherds because he wanted them to know that pretty soon you'll be out of business. Well, you'll still have sheep, but no one's going to buy lambs for slaughter anymore because Jesus is going to be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And they were terrified. By the way, everyone in the story is terrified because when God shows up, people are terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, verse 10 and 11, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And even in my prayer this morning, we're praying that people would somehow experience the joy of God in the midst of difficult seasons and busy seasons and discouragement and depression and being reminded with Christmas of loved ones that have been lost along the way. But today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Jesus comes in the spirit of a personal Savior. Personal Savior. And this will be a sign to you, Luke chapter 2. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's my prayer for you, that God's favor would rest upon you, that there'd be peace in your heart. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's see what's on TV. Let's see who's playing the Cowboys today, or the Steelers today, or Green Bay today, or the Raiders today. Let's see what store we can go to today to buy gifts for one another. No? They went immediately to Bethlehem to see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had told them about. The followers of Jesus know that something has happened. And that's why Christmas is not wrapped up in what's happening, but what has already happened, what's already taken place. The light of Jesus has not been put out because something supernatural has happened. And so in Luke 2, it says, They hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told. And everyone who heard it was amazed. Now, here's our assignment. We may not be shepherds, but we know the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And our assignment is still to tell other people about the message of Jesus, the word concerning what we have been told. And I'm going to tell you this, whether you believe it or not, people are desperate to hear about the real meaning of Christmas. They're desperate to find out who Jesus is. They're desperate to open their hearts to, to one who has died for them personally, a personal Savior, a personal Deliverer. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. After all, who could she tell? Who would believe her? 
Took 33 years for Mary to fully, fully, fully get the story. It's after Jesus dies on the cross, she's there. Gets to peer into the empty tomb to recognize that he was the victor over death, hell, and the grave. That he was stronger than all the darkness in the world. That his light had appeared and was still appearing. And she would be the one to tell you what I'm about to say, that Christmas allows the ending of personal condemnation. I still meet people who are condemning themselves for things that they did before they met Christ. And I still meet people who are condemning themselves for drifting away from Christ and doing things they should not have done. And I would venture a guess that all of us have at least one thing on one bad day that we did that we wish we could somehow take back. A lady who says, I should have never dated that guy. Now, if you, if you want to say, I should have never married that guy, be quiet. But a man who says, I should have never fallen for her. Or I should have never entered that business deal. Or I should have never been there that night. I should have never drank that, taken that, snorted that, ingested that. I wish I would have. I and everybody has a, a wish I would not have done that. I wish I wouldn't have cheated on that exam. I wish I wouldn't have lied to my friend. I wish I wouldn't have been unfaithful. Everybody has something. And if Mary was standing here, if John was standing here, and if Jesus was standing here, he would say, you're not condemned. Because I was born in Bethlehem. I rose in purity. I died on a cross. And the power of what I did, those shepherds understood the power. They saw what happened in the darkness. The light had come. The angels appeared. The priests of that day understood the power of what they believed. We, we sacrifice these lambs and our sins are forgiven. And the people of Israel and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, said, Father, write our names in the book of life one more year. They understand the system of sacrifice. But now that was done. And God had even said, I am up to here with your animal sacrifice. I am sending someone who will take away your condemnation. And it would be later on that the Apostle Paul would write in Romans 8, he would say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Now, if you want to go ahead and beat yourself up, go right ahead. But it's theologically incorrect. It's doctrinally unsound. It's spiritually and psychologically unhealthy. I just got to beat myself up for what I did back then. It will never give you the joy of the Lord. Because you have to come to grips with the fact once and for all that the Lord has forgiven you. And if you're married today, I'm going to just give you a little word here. Stop reminding your spouse of what they did back then. It doesn't do any good for anyone. I'll forgive you, but I'll never let you forget it. That's not forgiveness. The Lord does a different kind of forgiveness. I'll forgive you, and I will forget it. I'll put it in the sea of forgetfulness, and I will not go fishing again. It'll live in the past. For God, to love this world, John 3, 16, 
of the 31,373 Bible verses, this is the one that most people know. Listen to the 23rd Psalm. That whoever believes in him. The whoever is a bunch of yous. You, you and you and you and you. That if we believe in him, whoever believes in, remember, believes in. This is the diagram of the powerful verse of John 3.16 that, that God, the almighty authority, so loved the world, the mightiest motive, that he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift, that whoever, this is the widest welcome, that whoever lives in North America, Western civilization, this is whoever believes in him. This is the easiest escape that we simply believe will not perish. This is the divine deliverance, but have what? Everlasting life, which is the priceless possession that no one can take from you. And at this Christmas, the angels were right. Mary was right. Joseph was right. The shepherds. God had sent a Savior into the world. So in the manger, Jesus takes on flesh. On the cross, God takes on your sin. In the manger, God says, I love you. On the cross, Jesus says, I save you. It's all about you. It's not about you being prideful and arrogant. It's all about me. But Jesus came for you. Years ago, I, I sat with a man in our church. He could not grasp this truth. And he made this statement to me. He said, you know, I live on this planet where God so loved the world, therefore God has to love me because he said he loved the world. But, but Pastor B, he doesn't really love me. And I said probably what you would say if you've been around church any length of time, if you were the only person alive, God would have come and had Christmas with you. And Jesus would have done miracles around you, and he would have died on a cross just for you. And he said, yeah, that, that's, that's preaching material, but I don't believe that. He was so beat up, he was so shattered by life, he was so filled with condemnation that he couldn't get over the fact that, that, that God would love him. He believed that God loved people, the whosoever's, but that God couldn't love him. And I said, God loves you. And he, he kind of chuckled, nervous laugh. And he said, what do you think I should do about this? And I, I was trying to think. What? And I said, I know what we'll do. Why don't you talk to God? Why don't you tell God, God, you so love this world, but not me. God, you were born of a virgin to save people from their sins, but not me. And then God, when you allowed your son Jesus to die on the cross, he, he died for the world, but not for me. But wait, don't tell him that until I leave the room. 
Because first of all, I don't want to hear it. And second of all, if something happens, so I'm going to go get a cup of joe and I'll, I'll be back. And he said, really? And I said, that's how I feel. Because everything you're going to say to God that you just said to me that he heard is not true. And I don't usually do this, but I leaned over the table and I grabbed his hands. And I just simply said to him, what I'd love to say to all of you, Christmas is all about you. It's all about Christ being your Savior and, and your Lord, the Lord of your family, the Lord of your kids. It's all about Him dying for you, to free you from condemnation and from the power and the grip of sin. And no matter what happens in this season, good or bad, that if you have Christ in your heart, you'll understand the meaning of Christmas. It really is born to you this day, a Savior. Born for you. For God so loved you, He gave His only begotten Son. A few weeks ago, a gal said to me in church, out in front, she goes, man, lately you've just been preaching about Jesus. Do you have anything else to say? <laughs> and I said, sure, I have a sermon called Five Ways to Clean Your House, <laughs> Eight Ways to Declutter Your Clutter, come on, Nine Steps to Happiness, and those sermons are all fine. We're going to do a message on New Year's on New Year's Eve, and then the Sunday after that, I'm starting a series called The God I Wish You Knew. And I'm not the first pastor to ever do it. If you Google it, you'll see a million. And for the last five years, I've been kind of percolating on what would I tell people who would come to church who aren't really sure about God or don't even believe in Him? See, a lot of people are atheists because the God they think about is a wrong God. They're not even sure who he is. So um, this is a plug that for the new year that we're going to start a new series. Wouldn't it be great to bring your friends? Tell them you'll take them to lunch afterwards. You're buying. What's their soul worth? Okay, take them to Taco Bell. <laughs> Buy them a $5 box. But what would it be like if... if People came here with you, not because we want to pack the room out. I don't want to be that shallow. But if people could come and learn about our God, the God who loves people, the God who's gracious, the God who's, who's kind. And so I found this old prayer that I like to pray and have this be our prayer as we finish this morning. My heart, your manger like the stable in which you lay. My heart is simple, frail as hay. But if you would within me stay, make my heart your manger, I pray. Make my world your Bethlehem, centerpiece with heaven's sun. Make this night a shepherd's sky, quick and bright with holy dawn. Rush the air with cherub wings. Rush this earth, let angels sing. A glimpse of your face, a taste of your grace, 
be born in me. Be born in this place. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.